0: Be prepared. It's the 60-Minute Dash. I don't believe what I just saw. With your hosts, Hunter Highwell and Nick Pellucci.
1: From Studio A at the Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Westbury, New York, it is the 60-Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Follow the 60-Minute Dash on Twitter and on Instagram at the 60-Minute Dash. We have a lot. A lot to get to today. We First of all, we're going to get to the Mets. The Yankees had a good weekend. Golf was kind of entertaining this weekend. We're going to talk about how Kepka is back-to-back in the PGA Championship. But Nick, first of all, we have to start with the dysfunction. The absolute dysfunction. And some people think I might be talking about the Mets, but no. I'm talking about the Jets because both are dysfunctional. As the New York Jets announced last week that they have relieved... General Manager Mike McCagnan of his duties, and they've given full power to Adam Gaze and Nick. What else can I say but what a joke?
2: Let me start off by saying, you know, this gives us a job. This gives us a job to do. Now we have something to talk about, but, you know, as avid fans for these franchises, it's ridiculous. Oh, I'd rather have nothing to talk about I'm and be steaming. happy. I'm steaming all weekend because of this between what the Jets have done in their front office and their coaching decisions all of it up and down the board it has just been disgraceful and it's embarrassment to New York sports you know just when you it's, think uh, that just when you think the jets know
1: what they're doing they go out and do something like this and they remind everybody like oh we're still the jets guys we
2: still are a joke it, what have they done this entire offseason they made big moves McCagnon, he looked like he was finally putting the Jets on the right track. I mean, I'm not mad at the Le'Veon Bell signing. I'm not. I'm not mad at the CJ Mosley signing. It's it's $12 million, but, you know, it's a really good pickup that you're getting for less than what he wanted, and the Jets as a franchise needed a guy that can turn this team around. Darnold needs someone that he can develop with. Le'Veon Bell is a two-way running back that... Would allow Darnold to develop very well in this league, and when you and now with Adam Gase at the complete helm, it, it, he's completely taken over the New York Jets franchise, and now he wants Le'Veon Bell out. I don't understand what direction you're going in if you want to trade Le'Veon Bell after just signing him for twelve million dollars. I mean, this is not what you need to be doing right now. All right, okay. So listen th- to me. No, no, listen to me. I'm listening. The Jets have no, they have zero skill players on offense with the exception of Sam Darnold if he turns out to be the quarterback that we think that he's going to be. Signing Le'Veon Bell was just the beginning of... Of getting this guy's career off to a start, he did not have the best year last year, and I know a lot of guy, a lot of Jets fans are saying, you know, well, maybe Sam Darnold wasn't the right decision because of the interceptions that he had. But after his injury last year, he played remarkable. Let's it, not yes, take that away did. from him. And that's the second half of the season. That's how you know that he's made improvements. Improvements in the first year for a rookie is astronomical, and it's promising to a coaching staff and. To a franchise. And now, going into the offseason, you don't have a single skill player, Robbie Anderson, who can only run a flag pattern. It's the only thing he knows how to
1: do. He doesn't know how to run a route. He even, he even admitted after the Miami game, he's like, oh, I, I ran a bad route. It, it, the, the, pro- the problem here, Nick, is I don't understand where the Jets are going because, first of all, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard because he Christopher Johnson, the man himself, comes out and says... I don't like the direction of the team. Well, then, if you're going to throw Bowles out, why didn't you throw McCagnin out with him? It doesn't make sense to let him spend, over the last two off-seasons, $200 million in cap space. It doesn't make sense for him to trade up, get the quarterback. It doesn't make sense to let him... To use the third overall pick, it doesn't make sense to do, let him do any of these things. He basically set up the roster. He, what, he goes and he gets Adam Gaze. It doesn't make any sense. And why am I supposed to believe in Adam Gaze's tenure when he is 23 and 25 as a head coach? He made Jay Cutler just a little bit mediocre. He was the coffee boy for Peyton Manning. Don't give me the garbage that he made Peyton Manning he, he was part of the comeback story. No, no, no. You tell Peyton Manning a play, he throws it out the window and makes his own play. Peyton Manning is his own offensive coordinator. Who am I to believe that Adam Gaze, the guy that is just basically already tearing the roster apart... We haven't even started training camp yet. The players don't like him so far. He's telling everybody that they're overpaid. They don't deserve to be here. He did the same thing in Miami. They sucked for three years. I don't want to hear that they made the playoffs the first year because that's what the Jets coach does every time he gets here. He gets really good. He gets the, makes the playoffs the first year, and it's all downhill from there. The, the problem I have here, Nick, is that they let McKagan set up the roster, and then they, they, they just fired him. Gays backstabbed him. Like he backstabs everybody. It seems. He seems to do it all the time. And now, the way it looks, it looks really bad. Because they let (laughs) McAgnon set up the roster, Gaze is now here, and the problem why they didn't want to hire McCarthy is because they said that McCarthy wanted too much control. The thing I don't understand is McCarthy has six division titles, he's made the playoffs nine times, he's 100 games over 500, he developed Aaron Rodgers, and then they they go out there, they don't want to give him control, and then they give Adam Gaze control. How does that make any sense? What
2: the hell has Adam Gaze done? And this all falls on Christopher Johnson. It all falls into his lap. It's on him at this point. He has to realize that he made the mistake with Gaze. And I think he does realize that because he let go of McAgnon, who brought him in here, and they already didn't get along. But if you're going to listen to a guy like Peyton Manning on the outside, looking in, why don't you bring him in here before the draft, before he makes all the moves? you know, Maybe you don't get Le'Veon Bell. But now you're stuck in a situation where you have him and your head coach wants to get rid of him. That's what I don't understand. And for me, Christopher Johnson, not a football guy, doesn't know what to do in football situations. He's got to bring in a general manager that knows what he's doing and he cannot be putting all the power into the head coach because that's what you have right now, a head coach and a general manager. He's not Bill Belichick. And he never will be. He will never surmount to the quality and the praise that Bill Belichick gets. Should have brought in a guy like Peyton Manning, maybe, who can work well, as a well, what I don't football operations or you know the GM. And maybe they would have made some different moves and maybe we'd be in the right direction. But now we're back to the laughingstock that we once were. Well, what is absolutely crazy was... I was under the
1: impression that Christopher Johnson, first of all, this is this is an outrageous way to run things in the NFL. All the successful ways you run the NFL is either you have a guy like Bill Belichick or Sean Payton, you know, the guys that have pelts on the wall, not Adam Gaze, who's 23 and 25 with the Dolphins, and give five of those wins to beating the lousy Todd Bowles Jets, okay? He was 5-1 and one against them. That doesn't really mean, it means diddly squat to me. But what I, what just frustrates me, Nick, is that I was under the impression that McKaganin and and Gaze were both reporting to Christopher Johnson at equal power. Now it's shown to me that Gaze was ahead of him. It, it, that's what it shows to me. If, you, if they're going to go out there and fire McCarthy, you think McCarthy, McCagnon. It shows to me that they had more faith in Adam Gaze. I don't get how he can come in here and win a power struggle over the sitting general manager. Say what you want about Mike McCagnon. If they had fired him two or three months ago, we wouldn't have been complaining. The problem here is not Mike McCagnon. The problem here is that they gave all the power to Adam Gaze. Adam Gaze is going to go out there, and to your point, he's going to go out there and hire his general manager. That makes no sense. And if you think that the general manager is going to come in here and have any say on what's going to happen, no, Adam Gaze is running the show. That's what's happening here. Do not believe anything the Jets say, because they looked at us and they lied to us multiple times. They lied to us that McKagnon's job was... They said his job was safe. It was not safe. Not for a second. And the way that they set this up, they let McKagnon... Not that McKagnon had the full power to hire Gaze, but he was a very big part in hiring him. He told Christopher Johnson, this is a guy that you should look at. This is a guy that we should really consider giving the job to. And they were supposed to be even. Obviously, we found out that Gaze took control. He used his sway somehow some power that he has. I don't know where it came from because so far as a coach, his decision making is bad. His record is bad. His relationship with players are bad. It just, none of it makes sense to me. We've been lied to. The power, the power distribution was obviously swayed and gazed when it should not have been. I don't get it. mccandy was here for four years. The plan was get the quarterback, spend the money, use the draft picks and go. So what'd they do? They got the quarterback. They They signed the free agents, then they got more draft picks. This was McKagnon's roster he set up, and they threw him
2: out. Why? This is McKagnon's team. That makes no sense to me. The the entire thing is flipped upside down at this point. Adam Gaze has full control right now, and where he has no one to report to. He reports to himself. Christopher Johnson, this is his guy. This is on him. I'm putting all the blame on Christopher Johnson. Because this is all his doing. He brought in McKagan four years ago. He's done nothing but make the right moves. He got Darnold last year. He fired Todd Bowles. And now, with the excuse of Christopher Johnson, brings in Adam Gase. And it puts McCagnan at the hot seat. For what reason? McKagan has established himself way better and more efficiently in the New York Jets front office, than Adam Gase has. Adam Gase has been here for four months. I just, four
1: months. It's incredible that he won a power it's, struggle over the sitting general manager. That's incredible. And I don't. And listen, the problem here is not about Mike McCann. We're not. I think you would agree with me here, Nick. We're not like, oh, Mike McKendy was the greatest general manager that the Jets have ever had. It's just that they're giving the power to Adam Gase. Adam Gase. What the hell has Adam Gase done? You gotta think that the rest of the you gotta think Belichick's up in Foxborough just laughing. You gotta think that he's like, Man, I got
2: two more free wins. Do you blame him for ever leaving the Jets after one day? I mean this is what this is what the Jets are. This is what the Jets have always been. And for a split second, Jets fans could have been happy with where they were and been like, hey, you know, we have a chance this season. I talked with my brother, and he, he says the Jets are still a laughingstock. They're not going to win. They're not going to make it to 500 this year. They're going to miss the playoffs yet again. And I agree with him, and he tells me that there's no skill players, I, although I still believe in Darnold, which that was an, a side argument that we're not going to get into. But this is not a team built to win anything right now. No. With, not with the turmoil that you have at the top. Because it all starts at the top. Oh,
1: it starts at the ownership. The ownership has been bad.
2: You know what? You know what the
1: problem is with the ownership? They are way too involved at the day-to-day operations. You want to know why Robert Kraft, even though he had his little scandal down in Florida, you want to know why he's one of the best owners in football? Because he hired Bill Belichick, and he said, you run the show. You know football. I don't. I'm just going to collect the championships. And that's what he's done. Bill Belichick gets Robert Kraft the championships. Christopher Johnson, if you want to be a good owner, hire the best football guy and shut up. Do not get involved. Because when you get involved, this is what happens. The Jets are now facing another scenario where they're going to set the franchise back. It frustrates me because all we've been begging for was that franchise quarterback. We finally think that we have that guy in Darnold. Darnold has shown serious flashes of being something really special, and then they go out and do something like this. It just reminds you that the Jets are incompetent, the owners are horrible, they're out of touch with reality, they think they're trying to outsmart everybody else, but you know what they're going to do, Nick? They're just going to outsmart themselves. And next thing you know, we're starting from scratch, Gaze is fired, the coaching staff is fired, and then what do you know? Darnold's rookie contract is up. And why, why would he stay? Why would he stay here with all the dysfunction? The only hope I have is that Sam Darnold is good enough to overcome this. That's the only hope I have. And
2: and I think that's a good point to bring up is that, you know, with all this going on, I think right now from a Jets standpoint, they need need to work on it right now because of what you have in place this year. You know, you got a young quarterback who has a bright future, And you know what? Mike McKagnon could have been a great GM. He could have been a great GM. I think that, you know, he had the right mindset. He's a football guy and knew knew what he was doing. And I think Christopher Johnson's ownership and wanting to get involved, like you said, that is what turned this thing around. And that's why he's no longer here. It could have gone a very much different direction had Christopher Johnson not gotten involved. He's and I think that's where it's... Uh, again, that, it starts at the top. That's where it started at the beginning of this offseason. And it's just been a downward spiral from there. And right now, the Jets need to figure it out. Hopefully, maybe they bring in a guy like Peyton Manning. I wouldn't mind seeing a guy like Peyton Manning in here. It's just another base, Another football guy. But you cannot have Adam Gase running the show. The
1: problem is if you bring Peyton Manning in, he's just a Gaze guy. And I don't want a Gaze guy, but we're going to get a Gaze guy. And that's the problem. That's the problem with the Jets. They're incompetent. They're just incompetent, Nick.
2: I have to agree with you. And it's not going to get better. But, again, it's not going to get better unless they do something with Adam Gaze. You're listening to 60 Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Don't touch the dial because we still got plenty more going 0-60 with intense sports talk right after this.
0: you also know how to shoot, edit and post videos,
3: you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to gocsb.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools, redefining training in radio, TV and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO The 60-Minute Dash, powered by All Noise Radio. We got
0: more left, don't you? A whole lot,
2: don't I thought so. so. We're warming up. up. Going 0-60 with intense sports talk. The 60-Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Kennedy School of Broadcasting, Nick Pellicci, alongside Hunter Highwell on this beautiful Monday afternoon. We had a great weekend this weekend, played a couple of baseball games, and it was It was beautiful out. But something that's not so beautiful in the New York Mets franchise, where do you even start? You know, DeGrom not pitching well. Syndergaard not pitching well. The Mets not hitting. They got swept by a 10-win Miami Marlins triple-A affiliate team. How does that happen? How do you let that happen? Where's to, Who is to blame? Is it Brody? Is it Callaway? Is it just the Mets offense? Wh- not I, you wanna, you I wanna, don't even know where to start, man. You wanna I know, don't know where to
1: start. You want to know who to blame? Just like we were blaming Christopher Johnson for being a bad owner for the Jets, apparently Ken Rosenthal out of The Athletic wrote an article saying that Jeff Wilpon is very involved in the day-to-day operations of the New York Mets. Jeff, leave it alone. First of all, you want to ask who to blame? You blame all three. Mickey makes stupid decisions. I think Brody Van Wagenen sets the lineup every day. And I think Jeff Wilpon is assisting Brody Van Wagenen in making the lineup every day. It's a joke. They got two hits in the last three games. The starters, Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez. They were... Two hit yesterday in an hour and 59 minutes. They got beat in under two hours by the Miami Marlins. They were swept this week. They scored six runs on Friday, but who cares? Jacob deGrom got touched up. They go out there Saturday. They get they get embarrassed. They go out there yesterday. They get embarrassed. What an absolute disgrace. You got Robinson Cano not leaving the box. You got him forgetting how many outs there are. You have the rest of the lineup. First of all, the only guy... The only two guys in this lineup that I have any faith in to get a base hit are McNeil and Alonzo. These are the only two guys. Because right now, anytime there's a big spot, it's always, it always seems like they just never come through. Because with Conforto out, now Juan Ligueras is getting a lot of time. Brandon Nimmo, where have you been? Where is that on-base percentage from last year? Todd Frazier, we need you to step up. Be a major leaguer. Rosario's gone into a little bit of a slump. J.D. Davis has gone into a slump. And the one guy that I was advocating... Well, J.D. Davis had the only two hits yesterday. Well, that's I, I, great for him. <laughs> that's great for him. But you want to the one guy that I've advocated to get here and he's really let me down? The guy that I said was part of the key to make the Mets great again... Wilson Ramos is hitting 238 as a hitting catcher in the major leagues, a guy that doesn't have great defense to be hitting 238 no. right now in the biggest slump of
2: the year, Nick. This is just a not, joke. Not only that, if you look at the numbers, the way DeGrom has pitched when Wilson Ramos is behind the plate have not been good. They have not been good. Mm-hmm. And it's a double edged sword. <laughs> it's a double edged sword because you want the offense from Wilson Ramos, hasn't given it, but he's your better option offensively than Nito. But then Degrom goes out there and pitches and gets shelled. You put Thomas Nito, Tomas Nito behind the plate. Degrom pitches great. He has a sub one ERA with him, but he can't hit. You know what? So where do you, where, where what direction do you have to go in at uh, the catcher if you want the <laughs> the pitching staff to do well? Because right. when the pitching staff does well. It's a guy who can't even, hit the baseball.
1: Even when the pitching staff does well, you're right. They don't hit. It is ridiculous what they do. They scored six runs on Friday, but they gave up eight. They scored zero runs, but they gave up two. <laughs> what? They get no hits. They generate no offense. There's no consistency with this team. There's From consistency from Wilson Ramos to the pitching rotation with Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler, he looks... Sometimes he shows flashes of second-half Zach Wheeler, and then he shows flashes of really bad Zach Wheeler. Jacob deGrom seems to go three starts that are pretty good, and then he's not so good. Noah Sindergaard yesterday was pretty good. He was okay in his last outing, but then he gets shelled by the Padres. This team is so inconsistent. We don't even know what Steven Matz is, and Steven Matz has been the best pitcher out there. The Mets don't even have a scheduled starter for tonight, Nick. What is going on?
2: And we talked about this last week, the importance of this – uh, road trip and you know the next yeah. uh, four series or so yeah the, they were supposed to win out in Miami they were supposed to take two of three of Washington they took that first game in Washington they won four straight and things looked like they were going well and then it happened they, they just stopped hitting oh. they stopped hitting <laughs> and when they hit their bullpen their starting rotation gets shelled it's, well, you know what they, they did? They're never in sync. And we talk about this every week. They're never in sync with each other, and they always they they keep finding new new ways to lose. I don't know what it is. Their defense is subpar. They do not hit well with runners in scoring position. They leave guys on. The game against Washington, when they're down, they tied the game 4 to 4. And then they give up two more runs. Okay, it's 6 to 4. You still have a chance. You have two innings left to you know, get runners on. And you're going up against a Washington National bullpen where Annabelle Sanchez left the game early. In the second And this inning. was a prime, prime time chance to take advantage. A struggling Washington bullpen in a tie game. You get shut out for two innings. Okay, now you get to Sean Doolittle and you dink your way, get you scrap away hits You get a couple runs, but you gave up that one run in the eighth inning to make it a three-run game for Sean Doolittle. Bases loaded and two outs. You're down by one, and you have Keon Broxton coming up to the plate. A guy who's batting 137 on the year strikes out on three pitches. Multiple strikeouts with bases loaded. Right down the middle.
1: Bases loaded, game
2: on the line. These are the things that cannot happen. And this is where you say, okay, Brody, this is what you brought in on the offseason. It's not working out. Cano hasn't been working out. Now you're looking at it, and you're like, did he make the right move? Now Edwin Diaz has to play exceptionally well for this to look like a good move. Well, the but pro- the Mets aren't winning, so he doesn't have a chance to go out there. I was just
1: about to say that. They, 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 this trade was about Edwin Diaz. They traded away. Their top pitching prospect, their top their top position player prospect for an aging Robinson Cano and for Edwin Diaz. What's the point of having Edwin Diaz if you never have the lead in the ninth inning? You're always playing catch-up, and he's coming into games where he's down or tied. And when he's coming to games when he's tied, he's giving up game-winning home runs to the other team. Nick, this is turning into an absolute mess. and ano- a disaster, man. And another it's- problem with this trade with Robinson Cano, they have him for five more years Four after this one, and I know Seattle's paying off a little bit, and that and that really excites the Will Ponds. They're Woo, we don't have to pay him all his money this year. Guess how much money they owe him over the next four seasons? Quite a lot. They owe him twenty million dollars annually. Not not in total, annually. For a guy who's hitting two forty five, he's aging, he wants to play every day. And I thought Brody said uh, before the season, well, we're not going to play Robinson every day. We're going to give him the
2: rest because he's old. When is he taking a day off? He doesn't. And the problem is with him not taking days off, he sucks. Brody came in here and he said he was going to eliminate all the question marks that the yes, Mets had. Yes, I've said that okay? for a while. Okay. Ugh. And, you know, I think at this point, Cano has created more question marks than ever because you didn't know what you were going to get out of him because he's off the PEDs. Yeah, he came after the 80-game suspension last year. He batted over 300. That, and and all was fine, but now he's he's off the he's off the PEDs for a year now, and at this point in the season, we're a quarter of the way in, 45 games in, Mets are five games below 500, you know, not where we wanted them to be, and now you put your uh, you put your manager in a red hot seat. It, it all falls on the uh, the manager. Unfortunately,
1: he's the scapegoat right now. And I understand it it really
2: is. I've been really critical of him. He's made a lot
1: of dumb decisions. He's made a lot of dumb decisions. I understand that. But the problem is you cannot blame him for everything because the way the roster is set up. Todd Frazier said it right. I'm not a big fan of Todd Frazier, but Todd Frazier said he can't go out there and hit. He can only set the lineup. And listen, mickeys he's doing a lot that he can, but he can't tell these guys to go out there and get three base hits. I think I, that's why I think it falls on all three because Mickey has made a couple really stupid decisions. Then you got Brody Van Wagenen setting up the roster, and then Jeff Wilpon, who just wants to touch everything. I don't get it. They they, they really just they are a three ring circus as, as uh, what they are.
2: Has Carlos Gomez got any uh, at bats this? Yes. Yeah, he,
1: he started two games and I think he went over.
2: But you know, props to them for trying, I guess. But you know that's, what? He was batting well in AAA, and. I, I like the move that the DFA'd Keon Broxton. I mean, it, it, yes. it had to be done. He hasn't done anything. Like I said, he struck out with the bases loaded in a, ga- in a must-win game. And, you know, they're, they're trying to do anything that they can at this point. You know, it's almost salvation mode for the New York Mets. They have to save their season, and it happened. Uh, I told you before the season started, they cannot have another month where they go 3-25 and like they did last year because if they didn't do that last year, they're in the playoffs. This year, now five games below 500, and, you know, your your schedule doesn't get any easier. You got another four against the Nationals this week. Uh, you play the Tigers, who have been playing relatively well. And then you got the Dodgers on the West Coast for a four-game set. There and is, the Diamondbacks. It's not going to get easier from here. There is one. This was a must-win series for the Mets, and they couldn't cap it off. They won the first six against the Marlins, or, sorry, first five, five the one-game got postponed, and then you get swept by the worst team in baseball. I, it, this is the map for the Mets that cannot be solid, uh, tolerable. It, it, it cannot. It is not going well for them at all. And right now it it, it it's going to fall on Mickey Calloway. You know, what, though,
1: I, I, Mickey, there's only one uh, possible there's only one possible uh, benefit right now. Uh, not really one possible, there's a lot of possible possible benefits to fire Mickey Callaway, I would fire Mickey Callaway and call up Joe Girardi, but they don't want to do that because Joe Girardi is an actual manager and he actually wants to control what goes on in the clubhouse. He doesn't want to be told what to do. But the only thing I could see to firing Mickey Callaway is maybe it sparks the team because we've seen it before. We saw with the 2003 Marlins, they went on a the World Series. There were a couple other examples that are not... I I don't know the exact manager's names, but I I heard about it. I, I, I just think that you can fire him and maybe it sparks the team because right now the team is spiraling out of control and you want to catch the spiral before it's too far because they're five games under 500. I understand that it can go really bad, but if they win this series, let's say magically they take three out of four from the Nationals, then you're only two, what, you're three games under at that point. You can come back. This is not over yet. You can make a change right now and maybe it sparks the team and they go on a run. Because, Nick, let's be honest, the division, what, it's five and a half? Five and a half games is not terrible.
2: They can still do something with this. Yes, but this is a must-win division because, you know, with the way it's going, the way the Central is going, there's not going to be a wild card out of the East. And, you know, for the most part, the Mets haven't been able to blame the injuries like they were in recent years other than this last series with, you know, Conforto out with uh, concussion and, you know, the pitching staff getting banged up, Vargas between Mats, all these guys. But the depth isn't there. The depth is the problem. Jed Lowry, the, where the, are you? Where, where we thought we had depth this year, that's what Brody came in here to do. The depth hasn't shown us a whole lot. It did in the first three weeks, and we thought we had something, but that was it. You know, it was kind of like a tease. It was a tease to this team and to the fr- uh, fan base because now it's struggling heavily here almost a quarter of the way well over a quarter of the way through the season and i think 45 games is a good sample size to show you how the rest of the season is going to pan out now you'd like to hope and think that this is going to turn around but there's no signs of hope right now there's really no signs of hope that anything can get better without additional moves you know there's not much else to do other than you know Just hope and pray that things are going to work out. You're listening to 60-Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Still another half of our show left. We have some bright news for the Yankees, and we're going to talk a little bit of the PGA Championship that happened this weekend at Bethpage Black. Don't go away.
3: You know, our jobs occupy more than half our waking hours. Shouldn't we be doing something we love? Call Connecticut School of Broadcasting at 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Since 1964, Connecticut School of Broadcasting, with a network of 12 campuses from Massachusetts to Miami, has helped place thousands of grads as DJs, sportscasters, entertainment reporters, behind-the-scenes in audio and video production, every aspect of the broadcast media. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has trained men and women of all ages and backgrounds in a matter of months, not years. Learn by doing from area radio and TV pros. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Remember, it's never too late to love what you do. Day and evening classes begin soon. Get trained. Get connected. Now. The 60-Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Follow The 60-Minute
1: Dash on Twitter and on Instagram at the 60 Minute dash. And on Twitter, ask questions and answer polls using hashtag Ask60.
2: This is the 60 Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, Nick Pellucci, Hunter Highwell, going 0-60 to 60 with intense sports talk. And we have to cool down a little bit. You know, our blood's boiling over here after talking about the Jets and the uh, Mets. I was about to say Giants. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about a little bit of the good news. We're going to finish the show with the higher, the higher-ups, the New York Yankees, the PGA Championship, Brooks Kafka. I mean, looking like, looking like a god yeah, on wh- Beth Page Black. It, uh, what a weekend uh, for him! That's later in our show. But right now, we're going to talk about the Yankees, and the ha- it, 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 it's almost impossible to ever think that they're going to be they're in they're in first place right now with the lineup that they have to put out there every single day, it, every week. It, it's impressing me more and more, and something that you know. If you ask any, any Yankees fan, would you believe that you were in first place? If you asked them a month ago, would you believe that you'd be in first place on May 20th, 2019? They'd be like, heck no. Nah, not with the injuries that we have. They'd be making the excuses that the Mets made for years and years and years. But no. Guys continue to step up and do their job and win baseball games. Even with the injuries that the starting rotation has had. J. A. Happ, Masahiro Tanaka, who else do I have to name that has not been out there? And another guy steps up and puts in the innings to win the game. I think
1: the MVP of the Yankees might actually be a guy named Domingo Herman, who's right now, he's an all star candidate. He's an all star candidate. He's been one of the best pitchers in baseball. And we were talking so bad how, about how bad the Yankee rotation could possibly be. I mean, I, I, Paxton's down too, is he not? They, or at least he went down before. But let's say this weekend they got six innings out of CC, one run. They got six innings, no runs out of Masahiro Tanaka. They're getting outing after outing of just good baseball. And the bullpen has been pretty good. Adovino had a pretty good weekend. Holder had a good weekend. The only guy that really didn't have a good weekend is Chad Green. But how much more could I rip Chad Green? I mean, he gets hit. he gets touched up every weekend. But let's just call it like it is. The Yankees are down. What are well, they down? 3-2 to on Friday night. They come back and they win 4-3. to They blow a lead a one nothing on Saturday, but then they come back on Sunday and they just demolish the Rays. The Rays had no chance to win that
2: game. The Yankees came out and they ambushed them. And the game on Saturday, they just had to tip their cap because Blake Snell play, uh, pitched a heck of a game. But across the board, I mean, the Yankees just continue to battle. Guys are slowly coming back, but that's the thing, though. The team is doing so well that you don't have to rush back your starters. Aaron Judge even said it, you know, he's in no hurry to come back. I mean, well, that's a little alarming being that, you know, what does he not want to play? But, you know, at least this gives the Yankees time to get your guys 100% ready to go when it's time to get going middle of the way through the season because this is a big division now. Well, You've got the Rays right up there. The Red Sox are starting to heat up. They're coming back. They're above five hundred, doing what they got to do. This is going to be... A division where there's three teams in it in the last week of the season. Well, how about a guy... Listen, I understand that
1: he hasn't really had the big impact, but, hey, Aaron Hicks has come back. He's gotten a couple base hits. I think that that's a little bit of a positive sign because this is still a little bit of a... I guess he's getting back into it, okay? And I know a judge is coming back soon. Stanton's coming back soon. You're going to have to make decisions on who to send down eventually. But I think it's clear that... I believe they already sent down Talkman, but they're... Which we
2: talked about yeah, last yeah, yeah, week yeah, 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 where but, that was the one guy that you... W-
1: listen, you nailed it right on the head. If you had told... And this is important with Miguel Andujar done for the season. If you had told the Yankee fan that you were going to go 500 with all these guys, they would say, yeah, fine. Sign me up. Keep me in it just to make a run late in the season. Now you're getting your big guys back. Because let's be honest. I don't think that this is going to last forever if you keep rolling these guys out there every single game. Like for an extent for like the entire season, I think that they would struggle, but they've put these guys in a position to just take off and go. And now Stanton's possibly coming back soon. You could just ease him back in. Then he's Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge is coming back, and Gio Urshela has proven that he could stay up here. And with a protected lineup, I have faith in him. And he plays solid defense at third too. And not not a lot of people are talking about just how good DJ LeMahieu is. You mentioned it last week. Dime- DJ LeMahieu is one of the best hitting. Just utility players. He might be the heart and soul of the Yankees right now. He is. He's 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 one of the reasons why they've been so hot because he doesn't stop. He's still hitting over three hundred. He makes great defensive plays. He's, and when if there's ever a guy at a big spot that I want up, it's DJ
2: LeMahieu. He is the Yankees Jeff McNeil. He gives a team hope and promise that they're gonna win the game. <clears throat> and you know the Yankees put themselves in a prime position to run away. You know up eleven games over five hundred. And now you've got a four-game set against the Orioles who you've dominated this year other than the opening series of the year. You go play the Royals. So it's a nice, easy road trip. And then you come back home to host the Padres and the Red Sox where it really starts to get nitty-gritty. Where you've got to crack down. But the, again, the Yankees put themselves in great spots and they continue to win key games. They, they miss out on two games over the weekend to postponements. I'm sorry, not the weekend, but later in last week. And they come out and just continue to roll with it. They continue to roll with what they got. And right now, the biggest takeaway that you could really say about the team is the rookies' contribution. I mean, what more can we say about guys who come up and fill in the spots that they need to do it? They're making an
1: immediate impact. That's just what they're doing. They're coming up here, and with all the adversity of being a Yankee, playing in Yankee Stadium, the Rays are running away with the division. The Red Sox are getting hot. They they're just coming out here, and they're just playing ball. That's what they're doing. They're coming out here, and they're giving their they're putting their best foot forward, and they're just they're they're just getting on base. It's it reminds me a little bit of the Royals. They're getting on base. They're moving the play along, and then you get a guy like Luke Voigt who could just hit a home run. He's also a candidate for MVP of the Yankees this year. 'Cause he has proven to everybody that he is definitely, definitely the first baseman of the Yankees going forward. There is no doubt in anybody's mind now, he made a nice glove play over the weekend where he dove and took a hit he dove and took a hit away. And if his defense could just solidify, he's a great he's already a great hitter. Imagine if he turns to a great
2: defensive player. And you mentioned the guy Aaron Hicks, who just came back. You know, he's contributing to the team as well. He's walked a couple times, he had a monstrous home run yesterday. You know, To come back and make the immediate impact is what you want from guys like Aaron Hicks coming back. That's what you're going to want from a guy like Gene Carlos Stanton or an Aaron Judge. That's what you're going to want. You know, because when you're taking out these players that are really performing well, like Arshella and all these guys, and you have to send them down because your big guns are out and they're back, you're going to want that same thing. You know, if they start, if they come back and you put them in the lineup and they start slumping, what does it say? I mean, you can't not start your number ones and number twos like Judge and Stanton. But yeah. when, if they were to come back and struggle and they start losing games, you look back and say, wow, this is unexpected. Yeah, and it makes it puts you in a really really tough spot but what the Yankees are but doing but you know what? Right it's now, a
1: great position to be in because you know if your guys come back and they struggle you have a guy that you could just plug in there and you know that you're going to get success these guys have been here now and now later in the season that, you know that, that, Nick that, gets baseball that's people a, get injured so
2: the scary part a guy that's tearing it up and he's hot it's you it's almost impossible to take him out of a lineup and you know if you take him out of the lineup for a couple days and you, you're like all right here's a spot start you know we'll give him a day off does it kill the streak that you're on, does it kill your vibe? Does it kill your flame? I mean, it, or, or, it, or do you just go back to hitting again? It, I'd like to see some of these guys that are really performing stay out there. And it's impossible to say that with guys that you know are on this team to you know win championships. You can't not start them. It's tough to really say what exactly is going to happen.
1: But, I mean, you got to give the Yankees the benefit of the doubt. You cannot tell me that... You're going to go out there, and you're not going to start Aaron Judge. It doesn't work that way. I still, I still think that these guys are going to come back, and they're going to be a better option than what you got. I don't really buy that the Yankees are really that bad in the first 10 games of the season. I think that they were just, they were going to do early season struggles. I mean, look at the Cubbies. They started out 3-8, and eight and now they have the best record since then. The only team behind them is the Yankees, and the Yankees are doing it with a bunch of scrubs. Well, everybody thought there were scrubs. Now let's not fool ourselves. The Yankees, if they go into the playoffs with this roster, I don't necessarily expect all that much. A lot of people have made the point that they're not really beating a oh, voice crack. They're not really beating a bunch of above five hundred teams. But who really cares? They're beating the team that's on their schedule. That's all they got to do. They beat their, they beat the first place team in their division. Now they're first place. They've set up the Yankees for a great summer run. I think right now the bullpen has been really really strong. That's the one part of the team that really hasn't been touched up with injuries. The starting rotation is they're getting a lot out of what you expected to be a little. And then this lineup, I know that you're saying that it might disturb their hot streak, but you can't make the case that not to start these guys. I'm sorry, you you can't make
2: it to me. And let's not forget about the moves that they make in season. Ka- uh, Cameron Maybin. No- most notably, Cameron Maybin and most recently, Kendrick Morales. Yes, I saw that. Who, who's got an RBI hit the other day? Yes. He's three for 10 already. He has three walks, only struck out twice. So this is another guy that you could plug into the DH spot and put more guys defensively that's going to perform. It's, I, It blows my mind that the Yankees continue to find guys and they continue to produce for them. You never see this with the New York Mets, ever. With a lot they, of teams. They, they, they bring in a guy who's tears it up. They come here. And they flat out can't hit the ball. Or they continue to get injured. Like Jed Lowry, he had a monstrous year. He had a career year last year. He's a journeyman, though. And he came be, he came to the Mets and got injured in spring training. We haven't seen him. Mm-hmm. That's just the way the dice rolls for New York Mets. But for the Yankees this year, they continue to get surprised with guys who they bring in just as a fill-in, and they fire the ball out. It, it's, I can't. Stressing enough, I can't. They've just been incredible, and you know what's the thing that's
1: that's great too is that the Red Sox were surging hot, and they've been able to hold them off really because they just keep winning. They can't catch them, and it's important that they're taking the Rays out right now because I thought the Rays were a wild card team to go off the bat. I didn't really think that they were a division winner. I don't think that they're good enough to be a division winner. I think it's. I think the Red Sox are going to continue to be hot, and the Yankees just keep winning. They keep the Red Sox out of their reach because. Let's be honest, the Red Sox still have a better lineup than the Yankees. That's pretty evident with the guys that they have in that lineup. I just, it's important that they just keep winning. Just keep winning. Play your games. Don't worry about what the Red Sox are doing because if you keep winning, they can't catch you.
2: And I can tell you right now that the lineup that they put out yesterday, a lot of these guys are starters. You got DJ LeMahieu. He's probably going to play a full season. Aaron Hicks is your center fielder. We've already discussed that. Luke Voigt solidified that first base spot. Get Greg Bird out of there. Gary Sanchez obviously has to be your catcher, and when he's not, he'll DH. Uh, and then Gleyber Torres at shortstop. He has to stay healthy, though, if he can stay healthy. Urshela is not doing too bad. He he's obviously doing great. Won't, He obviously won't be starting. Tyro Estrada. He probably won't be starting. Brett Gardner, you have no other choice. He has to play. Um, but then you got Cameron Mabin and. Clint Frazier, who can roll in there as uh, utility players. Clint Frazier, though, he might get sent down because he hasn't been hitting well. Clint Frazier is really the only guy in this lineup that I could say has truly been struggling. I don't think Brian
1: Cashman gets enough for that trade because if you really think about it, if the Yankees had Andrew Miller in 2017, they'd probably win the World Series. But he traded him for Clint Frazier, and Clint Frazier has been beyond disappointing. I mean, when it comes to either an injury or just slumping when he's had the opportunity. Because every time he has an opportunity, he it seems that he gets hot for maybe a week, and then he just cools down. And when he cools down, he really cools down. I'm not talking about like 250 over the last three weeks. I'm talking about like 100 over the last three weeks. And every time they get him thrown out there, he, go, he takes an offer. It's just, I don't think that Brian Cashman really gets enough. For what's been going on with Quinn Frazier. And you got to think
2: that when guys come back, he might be the guy that has to bite the bullet. I agree. And for right now, it's not something that the Yankees really need to worry about because, again, they got the next man up. That's good. They brought in Cameron Maven. He's playing well. So he's going to get playing time. Brett Garner going to get playing time. Although, I mean, he had three hits yesterday and two runs. He's continued to uh, at least make somewhat of a contrib- contribution to this team. But. Yankees have nothing to worry about. They're 11 games above 500. You're listening to the 60 Minute Dash on All Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Don't go away because we are going to finish our show up with PGA Championship at Beth Page Black. Stay tuned. All
0: Noise Radio. Powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. All Noise Radio is an internet radio station that's fully produced by graduates of the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. From modern rock to old school hip-hop, country to classical, news, talk, sports, and more. It's the noise you can't ignore. Log on to allnoiseradio.com. Fire up the station. Find out more about your favorite jocks. Get the latest CSB news and more. Plus, you can take All Noise Radio with you on the go for free. Just download the Live 365 app to your iPhone, iPod Touch, or Blackberry and search All Noise Radio. Check out tomorrow's broadcasters today at allnoiseradio.com powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Ho, 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 ho! Santa Claus is here! Huddle up! It's the 60-Minute Dash with your hosts, Hunter Highwell and Nick Pellucci.
2: Just a couple of avid Met fans, Jet fans, we are disappointments, really. We're, we're disappointed. We're not disappointments. We're we're good people, right? We're good people. <laughs> we know
1: what we're talking about. We enjoy talking about it. The disappointments are the New York Mets and the New York Jets because they manage to be a professional, two professional sports franchises that just seem to
2: self-destruct every two or three years. In case you didn't know, this is the sixty minute dash on all Noise Radio, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. But we still have a little bit to get to. I think uh, the PGA Championship, which Hunter and I were at on Thursday. That was and a great experience. I'm not going to lie. It was an awesome experience. But I, would, it remind, I, ha, I had shin splints for 3 days, but other than that, it we remind walked, we walked at least 7 miles. Oh yeah, no, we we, we had to we walk p- we parked at a Shagabagle. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, no, <laughs> stuff a Bagel. Stuff
1: a Bagel. We thank you Stuff a Bagel for letting us park our car there. We had to walk about 2 miles to the the golf course, but when we got there, well, we started watching Max Homa, Keurig Barn Barnrat, and the,
2: that's when the fun got started. The biggest thing was the fact that they only had one entrance and one exit, because like I said, we were parked a half a mile away, maybe from the ninth hole where we left, and we had to walk all the way south to the main entrance and exit to walk all the way back up north. It took an hour and a half to walk back to our car, because yeah. you, don't, let's not forget, there's a ton of there's a crowd of people there, and you know you're not walking on flat ground. We're walking on hills, mountainous terrain, downhill, dude. It, my shin splints for three days. It was re- it was incredible. I mean, yesterday was the first day I actually felt good. And then what do we do? We go play a double header. I played softball in the morning. I also played volleyball yesterday. Insane. What, what
1: the heck is wrong with you? I mean, I had a hockey game last night, but I that was like four hours after our baseball games ended. I just want to say, I uh, I think I put together a pretty good effort at shortstop yesterday. What not you say, Nick? Um, you, you did you did well. You you you
2: you turned to double play by yourself. I did. I did. I, I, think I know. It was I did.
1: Good. Um. I well, felt other. really cool after that. But anyway, we have to get back to what we were saying about the PJ Championship. And Brooks Kepka if there was any doubt in anybody's mind that he is not the best golfer in the world, you need to check yourself. Because this guy now has right successful. Right he, he has successfully defended the PJ Championship. He successfully defended the US Open. He has four majors in his last eight starts. He shot he had a seven stroke lead going into Sunday. He struggled a little bit yesterday, but he shot He's, he's got multiple rounds in a row in majors in the 60s. He broke a PGA record. This guy is unstoppable. He can drive the ball. He can carry the ball. Well, this, 300 is, him yards.
2: this is him in his in his extra small shirt, and then he's just like, ugh. Dude, I hit the ball far. Dude, I hit ball far. Uh,
1: dude. And you know what's the thing about him that's crazy? But the, is he gets he he drives the ball about 100 yards
2: away from the green. All he has to do is chip and putt. You wonder why he birdies every hole. Well, that's the thing. Bethpage Black is not is built for a specific golf You really have to drive the ball. Heavy you have to be a strong guy and dri- be able to dri- cuz like Joe said before our show, the on the par 5s the fairway is two hundred twenty-five yards away. If you don't, And, hit, if and you, you got to hit it on a straight line, yeah, if you're hitting the ball straight, but you hit it two hundred, you're in fescue.
1: You're right. it's not like you landed out of the rough. You could have had one of the best drives of your life, or you
2: could have landed in a and you could have landed in a bunker or fescue. And we all know how hard it is to hit it out of the fescue. De- yes, and describing it on the airwaves does not do it justice. You have to go to Bethpage Black yourself and just yes. take a look at the terrain that this course has. And you have in your mind, you're going to be like, how does anyone ever do this? And every green is elevated, it, too. It adds that extra oomph that you need. Forget about it. I mean, if I played there, I can bet you I'd spend maybe five hours there. Over and, 100. Easy. Over oh, over 100. Over 100. Over 120, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even drive the ball straight, let alone drive the ball 225 Let's, yards.
1: But uh, th- it just shows that how good Brooks Kepka is. And listen, I know Dustin Johnson. So, Dustin Johnson made it a little bit interesting because Kepka was bogeying hole after hole on, on the final Sunday. He reached plus four, and Dustin Johnson was getting close, but then he bogeys the last two holes and basically gift wraps it for Kepka to win it. Kepka, the, but that's why you build a lead. The problem was that the greens dried up, so they were much faster. They were hard to putt on, and they were hard to just plop a ball on because there's so many curves. But the, the, the And the Let's is, not forget how windy it was yesterday. Yes, of course. It dried up the greens immensely. Uh, that just shows how good brooks kepka is though that he built a seven stroke lead going into sunday and, uh, i mean we don't build leads for no reason brooks kepka went out there and showed you that he is the best golfer in the world and if you want uh, if if you want to try to
2: prove otherwise good luck well getting that lead is what keeps you in and what helps you make the cut on the first two days and the second two days is just holding that lead and that's all he had to do really i mean it, he start, After Friday, I believe, he was at a minus seven, and he finishes at a minus seven. So, you know, to go even the, the final two days, it, that's what's going to win you a championship, and that's what he's done for the past two years. He's won back-to-back opens. He's now won back-to-back PGA championships. He's won four of his last five, and, you know, it, it's impressive to see. And, you know, there's really no... He took all the drama out of this weekend, really. Oh, yeah, and no. There's nothing no nothing. No, there's no interesting you know comebacks or you know it, all the attention originally was on tiger woods i mean when when were, we, we were there, there oh co- people there were was mobbing. Crowds, there was crowds already and it was the first day there and were like we, five people in tiger well, costumes just following him oh mobbed but you know after his he missed the cut by one stroke and the cut was actually a plus 5 that's how you know the this course is not easy yes and you know Dusty Johnson is the really the only guy who made it somewhat of yeah, a competition only, for him. He's the
1: only guy that made it who made a run. I mean, he got to minus eight himself, and he gave Kepka a run for his money. the The lead was down to one for a little bit. People were getting a little excited. Maybe Dustin Johnson could come back and win it. But then Kepka just he settled down. He started paring his holes, and then what really did Dustin Johnson is, like I said before, he bogeys the last two holes, and that's when that's what it was over. Once he bogeyed the holes, that was it, because all Kepka had to do, he just needed a six on the last hole to win it. That's all he needed, and he parred the last hole, and listen, it wasn't even close. Like you said, Brooks Kepka sucked all the drama out of it because he had a seven-stroke lead going into Sunday. He had a seven-stroke lead going into Saturday. He was minus eight on Thursday. It was just, it was just an incredible all-time round. Considering the course that he's at, let's not, I, I want you guys to understand that, Bethpage Black you might you hear a lot about it but it really is one of the toughest courses I have ever seen I have ever because you there's only four holes on the entire course that you see the pin it's just it's mind boggling that he is able to shoot 8 under for 4 days at Bethpage Black Caps off just cap
2: off to him he's the best golfer in the world and, and nobody can tell me otherwise and another way to prove that that's it's just that hard to do at Bethpage Black. You can look at the leaderboards and see guys that were in it. They were under on the, after the first two days. Like Chafel, your boy Ricky Fowler, the, uh, Jason Day. Th- those, these guys were under after Friday. And as the course dried up and as the weekend progressed, these guys are finishing at plus four, plus seven. That's just how hard Bethpage Black is. This is one of the top five hardest courses in the world. And It, it claimed a couple people to get
1: cut early. We were talking about Tiger Woods earlier. Bubba Watson didn't make the cut. Rory McIlroy almost got cut. There were a lot of big names that got cut going in to Saturday morning. It was just, it was incredible. And I know a lot of people want to talk about Tiger Woods. So I guess we'll give a little bit of uh, talk about Tiger. And Nick, where do you think it went wrong for Tiger Woods
2: this weekend? Um, How about we'll start off by saying day one, he had 36 putts. That's not what PGA Championship caliber players or do they don't putt no. 36 times you got a two putt I'm almost one. every hole yeah it's just you can't you can't do it it cannot happen you have to get close to that pin you have to give yourself a chance to drive it in on the first shot and that was the one thing i forget his <clears throat> excuse me i forget his name it might have been kang but i'm not 100 oh no i can't remember his name but there was a guy who had i think 20 putts on the day, 20 putts on the first day. That's a, a guy that's going to win if he was a little bit stronger and yeah. he can get on the fairway and drive the ball. But that's a, where Brooks Kepka separates himself because he can do both. Oh, the, 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 the amount of long putts
1: that he had on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, he was birdieing from like 30 feet out. It was just—it was incredible what he was doing. He was reading the lot. Li- he was reading the lines of the green perfectly. The dips, the dives. It was just—he put on a show. Let's just call it like it is, Nick. He put on an absolute show, and he just showed you—he's the best golfer in the world. And a lot of people, they struggle with their putts. I know Bubba Watson for one. We were at—what was it? We were at like the sixth hole watching him putt. Ricky, Ricky Fowler missed a putt, and then Justin Rose made a great putt.
2: Oh, the uh, long one. Yeah. yeah. That was, that's whole six. Yeah. yeah.
1: Bubba Watson had, what, a three-foot putt, and he missed it. Because if you read—Beth Page Black, if you read the green slightly wrong, sometimes it'll just cusp the hole and go in. Beth Page Black has no remorse. It will go right next to the cup. It'll make you feel stupid. And guess what? Instead of a birdie, now you're at a par, and then you're at a bogey. And it costs—if you have a birdie opportunity— at Beth Page Black, you need to take advantage of it. The only guys that were really taking advantage were Kepka and Johnson. Everybody else has really falling off. I know Fleetwood was minus five after the first day. After oh, the yeah. first day, he
2: fell apart. Yeah, I don't even see his name on here. No, he, that, fa- he fell apart after the first day. Uh, but one thing I want to ask you is, like, do you think that the groupings have any, you know, impact on how the oh, players I think, perform? I think Kepka. <laughs>
1: was really, really inspired that he was playing with Tiger, because everybody was about Tiger, Tiger, Tiger. He even said it himself. He said, Why are we talking about Tiger when I shot eight under? It's he's right. People were so focused on Tiger Woods. He wanted to prove to and I I know that Tiger Woods and Brooks Kepka are friends. They're they're very close. They talk to each other all the time. But when somebody when you're as good as Kepka is, wouldn't you get annoyed if Somebody wins one major in the last eleven years, and all they can talk about is the guy that won once in eleven years. And you're going for three out of four. I know. It's you're, just, uh, you're not
2: wrong. I think. I think, and, I think, I think again, it. Af- I think it does affect people. And again, we were at the first day, just to reiterate. And how far away did we have to be for us to not hear the cheers for Tiger Woods anytime he oh, hit something? Oh man, we were we were walking up what like the fifth hole. We were trying, Tiger we were, Woods. We were trying to catch up to Ricky Fowler. I think we were. Passing the fourth, going to the fifth, and you yeah, we just hear he in a distance because he's still on the he started on the back nine, so he was probably still at hole sixteen or seventeen, and you can hear it over the trees. Everybody oh, yeah. going ridiculous for one birdie. He double bogeyed in the first nine, twice. Yes, and you know cut, We were
1: watching Piercy, who had a pretty good shot shooting off a rock. His ball landed right onto a rock, and he needed to punch it out and try to get it onto the green because. We were talking to Joe Spano earlier today, the director of our school, and he's right. When you're playing with a a couple of your buddies, I know I'm just going to punch it onto the fairway and try to wedge it onto the green, but when you're going for the PGA Championship against all these big names, you need to go for the green. So, Piercy, I thought it was a pretty good shot. All you hear from everybody around him is just a couple claps and like, nice shot. Tiger Woods lands on the green, or he makes a putt. The world goes
2: crazy. It's incredible how they worship this guy. And they worship him because, you know, he's really the face of golf right now. The guys he's playing against are people that looked up to him and are playing because of him. True. You you really got to think about that. He's, what, 43 years old now? And he started out in the 90s where guys were, you know, couldn't even swing a golf club. Some of these guys are 20 years old. He may have even been playing before these guys were born. So this is the one guy that everybody looks up to. And, you know, hes we all know the story of how he had the back fusion. He hasn't won since 2008, and he finally came back and he won a major. And it's a feel-good comeback story. And that's what everybody wants to see. So everybody's on his side rooting for him. But in the end, you know, it's all about you know, Kepka. It all, it's all about Kepka. It's
1: all about Kepka. Kepka really took it. He ran away with it, and he showed you this weekend why he's the best golfer in the world you've been listening to the 60 minute dash on all noise radio powered by the connecticut school of broadcasting follow the 60 minute dash on twitter and on instagram at the 60 minute dash we thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time